Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is episode like 42 or 43, 43, I think. And we'll start season two soon. I think I was trying to figure out when we were going to start season two. And I thought that we would start when we get to our first year. Since we're doing the Bible reading challenge, we'll just start season two. We'll start while everybody starts with us. So January. Oh yeah. I assumed we would start season two, January 1st. Yeah. So we won't have completely done the Bible reading plan together on the recap, but season one will be a shorter season than this. Yes. We are in second Chronicles, first John, second John, third John, Jude, Revelation, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. This might be a record. I think this could be our record for like books we've be. flown through in a week. Yes. Those epistles aren't helping us. All those anymore. little one chapter. Right. And then yeah. Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah are all super short. I forgot how. Third John. Third John. I haven't. I was like, why is this in here? How did this make the Bible? <laughs> so, so I'm using the She Reads Truth Bible this year uh-huh. and I haven't done this the whole time, but especially for the prophets. Mm-hmm. I've been reading through their little intro section because I, it yeah. has helped me. So like we've talked about the timeline thing before, like for me to wrap my head around the fact that the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the, the middle of the Old Testament, it's all the same time period has yeah. been really helpful. I was reading them for also the epistles this week as we are. And I was saying the same thing, like there are several of them are also to individuals, right? Yeah. Instead of like to big groups. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because I don't think I'd ever really thought about the significance of the audience before we were talking about Timothy. Timothy? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was the first time you said when you were like, we should remember that this is Paul writing to his protege. This isn't like a doctrinal statement to an entire church. So I was like, huh. And so now like, that's what I've been thinking about when I think about like who the letters are to, that's significant. Right. I have come back to that multiple times too, because that was totally like a God moment. Well, I mean, maybe, I don't know. It was just like yeah. a thought in my head. And I, like, I've thought about how, cause we talked about it, that that was like specifically in relation to some stuff that people disagree on hardcore in second, second Timothy, I think a lot of like mm-hmm. yes. men and women, like role playing role, not role playing, <laughs> please. <laughs> it's staying <laughs> men and women's roles in the church <laughs> i'm so distracted right now like not even funny okay okay reset i've thought about it often i think you're right i think it is significant but i've like contemplated like how, is it as significant as because when we talked about it that day we were both like oh well there you go you know what i mean not that it like yeah it doesn't doesn't mean we ignore all of that it doesn't mean mm-hmm. I, it's just something I've been mulling over and it's well, on my list 
of my long list of things I would love to like dig into. I've been mulling it over too. And I don't know how much I left in. This is the thing about editing podcasts. There's some things that like we talk about that we're like, maybe this is for us to just ponder on our own, not necessarily for everyone to know we're pondering, but I know it was in a weekly truth. Not probably not all of the conversation, not all of it, but that that aspect of, of Mm -hmm. it being just written to Timothy. Yeah. Paul's letters are in, I don't even know what you call it. They're not, it's not the canon because the canon is the Old Testament. What do you what do you call it? Like the whole thing isn't this whole thing the canon? The is, canon of scripture. Uh, canonized. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Paul's letters were canonized in this Bible, but Paul was not Jesus. Right. Do you know what I mean? So it's still the word of God because it's the word that God brought to Paul. That Paul that was written down that people prayed and studied diligently about what was going to go into the Bible. So there's, it's kind of hard to tease that out and go, okay, Paul's not Christ. Do you mean? Right. But he's all, but, but his words are true. Yeah. But his words are true. Um, But then to think to then take that and still consider the fact that, so his words are true and his, he includes his audience in his words and Mm -hmm. that's true. And that's for a purpose. Like it's not, Right. That's why context is so important. Context is so important. Yeah. So thinking about, it just was kind of that whole, when he leaves his greetings, his greetings are important because they tell us something about his purpose. Right. And taking into account his purpose is important in interpreting. I was going to go back to third John and skim over it again, because I was wondering why you, oh yeah. Yep. Third John. (laughs) Weird. Which is why nobody quotes anything from third John. Like there's nothing from it. I know. Usually there's Except something familiar. I think it's written on Don't my wall. Don't imitate evil. I think the f- first line is written. No greater joy. Yes. So yes. that's the one. No yes. greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth and don't imitate what's evil, what is good. Yeah. yeah. Let's start in second Chronicles. Second Chronicles seven. At the very beginning, it says when Solomon finished praying. So they're dedicating the temple. He, mm-hmm. he finishes the work. He finishes praying and it made me think of, you know, that uh, Moses finished the work and his glory filled the temple. Jesus finished the work and his glory filled the world. Um, and here we see when Solomon finished praying, a bolt of lightning out of heaven struck the whole burnt offering and sacrifices and the glory of God filled the temple. Mm-hmm. The glory was so dense that the priests couldn't get in. God so filled the temple that there was no room for the priests when all Israel saw the fire fall from heaven and the glory of God filled the temple, they fell on their knees, bowed their heads, and worshipped, thanking God. Yes, God is good. His love never quits. Mm-hmm. I just love that so much. He's so eager to dwell with his people. He just wants to be with his people. We're glad you're tuning into the recap, and we'll get right back to it shortly. But did you know we're going to be hosting a Bible reading plan challenge starting in 2021? We'll have incentives and accountability. And spoiler alert, listening to the recap will count as you're reading if you fall behind. If you're already reading along, maybe you could join our podcast as a guest. This challenge will be a fun and easy way to get your friends and family to dive into God's word with you. This way we can all be on the same page all year long. Please rate, review, and share the recap. It helps people find us and builds our community of believers who love God's word. I really, there was a lot in Second Chronicles that I enjoyed this week, the first part especially. But I think my favorite section was in um, Solomon's prayer. A lot of this is repeated, right? So we've heard, mm-hmm. I didn't go back and look. I know we've heard David's prayer. Mm-hmm. I think we've heard Solomon's prayer before. At the end of five, 
they're singing and worshiping and the temple is filled with a cloud. And because of the cloud, the, the priests weren't able to continue ministering because the glory of the Lord filled God's temple and the cloud and the fire are what led the Israelites mm. out of Egypt. Mm, um, so good. But in Solomon's prayer, um, in verse 15, He's just praising God. And he's in verse 15, he says, you have kept what you promised to your servant. Then in verse 16, he says, he asks God to keep what you promised. And then in verse 17, he says, Lord God of Israel, please confirm what you promised to your servant, David. And I just loved that like mm. progression that Solomon's, Solomon has faith that God's going to keep his promise because he keeps his promises because mm -hmm. he's done it because he knows God has already proven himself. And so that's what Solomon's like, I'm asking you to keep your promise, but I know that you're going to Yes. this. It, it made me think of that. Like we've talked before about hope and how as Christians, we define hope as like, not just like cross your fingers. I hope it happens, but like this it's sure. Yes. Like our, our faith and our hope is in something sure that is going yes. to happen. And so Solomon he's asking God to keep his promise and he's sure that he's going to yes. do what he asks because God has kept his promise already. And I just thought that was kind of cool. Yes. I love, and my, I, my favorite part is in seven verse 12 through 18, God appeared to Solomon that very night and said, I accept your prayer. And then he kind of makes this agreement with him. If you humble yourselves and pray, I will hear your land. And we see God do that over and over and over again. Mm -hmm that whole repentance thing, like humbling yes. yourself is repentance. Yes. And it's not that you're not expected to sin. You're expected right. that you will fall into sin, but if you humble yourself and pray, he's quick to mercy. Yeah. So Rehoboam, we see that actually happen. So this is the thing that's so interesting to me is that David is a terrible parent, but he's must be some kind of parent because Solomon understands like Solomon mm -hmm. knows what to pray at a young age when he takes over the kingdom um, but then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is atrocious. Um, in the, at the end of the day, at the end, yeah. he's remembered as being a bad king. Mm -hmm. And he was Solomon's son. So he's, he grew up with his dad who had concubines and wives galore. And he ends up having concubines and wives galore, although he has a favorite. Mm -hmm. But just that, like, it goes from Sol David to Solomon to Rehoboam. And you're like, what? I was just thinking, man, like that, that's a quick decline from like a faithful son to Rehoboam. And that just degenerate. I mean, it just goes downhill, from, yeah, it goes downhill right. from here. So, I mean, it's just disappointing because we see this just beautiful thing all through the beginning of second Chronicles. And now we begin to see we're back at the rest of the same story. We're going to read all of that second Kings, mm -hmm. that long, long story of the demise of Israel. All of the, yep. All over again. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of it. And I imagine, like, think about, like, that's so fun that God is like, let's go over this again. Mm -hmm. Just so you don't forget that this is exactly where you are right now. That being said, though, that's where we are right now. But I was thinking about this as I was writing my Prince of Peace article. <laughs> Melissa asked me one day, she goes, why is he called the Prince of Peace? Like, he's the king. Mm -hmm. Why is he called the Prince of Peace? And I'm going to just, I'm trying to say this out loud enough so that maybe it'll help me organize my thoughts. I'm just going to talk out loud to you for a minute. But I was thinking about the portion of scripture that we see 
where David says, First Chronicles chapter 29 says, but he's young and untested and the work is huge. This is not just a place for people to meet each other, but a house for God to meet us. So David really wanted to build the temple. He was a man of war, so he wasn't allowed to build the temple. Mm. He hands it down to his son because God's going to give him a period of peace and his temple will be built in peace. And I was thinking about David's big concern was for his son who was young and untested that he did all of this prep work to make sure that plans were ready. Everything was written down the way that it should go. Yeah. And, and as I was reading first and second Peter, I was like, this is a reflection of like David. Peter's letters are very much like a, um, you're going to go through trials. Those trials will bring the proven genuineness of your faith. Like he's worried about his like untested church that Mm -hmm. God is building um, as he pours out his spirit. And then, you know, in second Peter, he writes, I'm going to die soon, but before I die, I want to make sure I get this all in black and white for your reference so that you Mm -hmm. can refer back to it, which made me think so much of David and that like, here's, I'm giving you, I'm going to write down all the things that are really, really important that I've been told first, you should know that I saw the glory of God myself. Like this is not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then he writes down like these important things, love being the biggest, as you were saying in one of those previous recaps, but I was just thinking like, when Jesus says to Peter, you are claims he's the Messiah. And Jesus says, you, Peter, are the rock on which I will build my church. It makes me think of that. Jesus pours out his spirit on Peter and all of these people at Pentecost. And that spirit of peace that dwells within us, like that's like the new, like that's the temple. Like we are the temple built in peace that only comes through the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? I guess I was just thinking like through this whole like the parallel of peacetime, like yeah, the it was like a physical peacetime peace for Solomon, Solomon, but for us, it's brought it's like, by the spirit. It's peace. yeah. It's like, yeah. Soul peace that like is not, couldn't, it's supernatural soul peace, which is where God meets us. And then today, as I was thinking further about it, and I don't really know where this fits in is that like God calls himself the God of angel army. Like he's the God of angel armies, you know, he's, and then in Habakkuk or one of the prophets talks about God being the warrior God. He's the, he's the warrior God. And do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Hold on. I'm going to find it. I think that was one of my favorite things. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's Zephaniah. Yes. Okay. So it's one of my favorite verses. That's a stupid thing to say. It's (laughs) one that's like super familiar to me and that every time I hear it, I love it. And there's a song from like when Shiloh was a baby that always plays through my head. But I never, it was like the second part of this verse that Mm. rejoicing over you with gladness and quieting you with his love. Like that's the part that I loved. But the first part of that is the warrior part that I didn't. Okay. It's Zephaniah 317. I don't know what the message says, but. Mine says, the Lord, your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet. He will be quiet in his love, but I like, he will quiet you with his love. He will delight in you with singing. When you, like you're talking about peace, like that sounds so peaceful, like rejoicing over you with gladness and quieting you with his love and delighting over you with singing. But the reason we have that peace is because he's a warrior who saves. Yes, 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 yes. So like thinking about like the Trinity and the roles, they're all one. G- the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all mm-hmm. one. 
yet they have, they play these different roles. And I was just thinking like the Prince of Peace, like makes so much sense in that this new temple that Jesus, the son of God came and set up and poured out through his Holy Spirit is this temple of peace. Like he's the son of the warrior God who came as a Prince of Peace to pour out his spirit so that we would live like this temple, this Holy Spirit that dwells in us, the temple. We are, we should always be a place of peace because the warrior God has mm -hmm. saved, you know, yeah. like, I love I mean, that. I can, you can only, I don't know that I'll ever wrap that up as tidy because it's so complex and beautiful, but. Right. Well, and that whole idea of the Trinity, and I still think I'm going to wrestle with that when I was writing the mighty God one. Mm -hmm. I think that's why when I said it to you, I was like, I don't love it. I think it's because I almost don't know. I don't know if it's correct. I don't know if it's right. Right, right, right. Because like, when you think about, when I think mighty God, I think. God, the father, right? right. Like that is mm -hmm. the mighty God. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus is God, but does he fulfill that? Well, he does fulfill that role because he comes back as King. Like, yes, the our hope is in this. I'm like, whoa, like it, I, that whole Trinity, like how they're three, they're all the same and all separate and working differently and similarly and together. And yes, it makes my brain hurt. And it, is really hard when I'm yeah to. I mean even everything that I just said I think that's why I think that's actually why I'm saying like I need to kind of wrestle with it out loud yeah. because when I write it I want it to make sense and that's why is because that's it's that whole trinity issue that's like I can't I'm I'm only pretending like I think I know what I'm talking about oh but, yeah but I'm just looking at these this line you know if you look at the yeah. story that God's writing like you just it's like mm -hmm. oh that's why he's the Prince of Peace. He's the son right. of a king. He's the son of a warrior king who came and brought peace. Mm -hmm. At least for now, that's how we know him as the Prince mm -hmm. of Peace. Like the, because of our warrior king who saves, he came as a peaceful suffering. Yes, that like that to me like fits in like a neat tidy box. Yes, you know what I mean like I'm like oh right. good. He called him Prince for a reason. Like yes, we really covered some highlights from Second Chronicles. Unless you have anything else. One other thing that stuck out to me, just thinking about this in relation to the prophets and the judgment, like God's judgment and his mercy. Well, in the middle of chapter 12, honestly, like I was kind of glazed over the story. So my, I'm not like straight on my facts as far as the story goes, but this in verse eight, this totally stuck out to me. Mm -hmm. It says they will become his servants so that they may recognize the difference between serving me and serving the kingdoms of other lands. And just that idea that like, even God's discipline isn't empty. Like it's always for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And the whole purpose here is for them to recognize the difference and to come back to him. Like yep. yes. he's not just angry and like being like, well, fine, I'm done with you. You can go be miserable because mm -hmm. I'm mad at you. It's so loving and still full of mercy. Like the whole purpose of it is I'm doing this particular thing for this particular reason so yes. that you'll know and understand and come back. Yes, yes, yes. That's so good. All right, let's go to the prophets. I can't get over this idea of, I think because we're just in this Christmas series of peaceful suffering, you know, this idea that like, if we're suffering, it's only for a time and the hope, you know, of that promise mm -hmm. you're talking about, like he's coming to rescue us. The last part of Habakkuk, Habakkuk three, again, we just love the way the prophets end every time, but 
Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I, I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. I just feel like God is preparing my heart for loss, that like we could lose a lot of our creature comforts mm-hmm. and things could get really, really hard because I don't know how an entire world economy shuts down for <laughs> a period of time and we don't suffer some consequences. Right. Not that, and I don't think that you see those things play out right away. I think that happens over time yeah. and I could be wrong. Maybe we continue living in glory for the rest of my lifetime. I don't know, but there's a part of me that just feels prepared that like, there may be some famine. There may be like, we've been in a time of feast for a long time and we may yeah. be going through a period of famine. And I think even if we don't, the truth is, is that this is the way that our heart should be prepared for it. That like, even if the cherry trees don't blossom, even if the sheep pens are empty, even if there's nothing to eat, even if like we're hungry and even if we lose our houses and even if we're cold and even if, even if I'm singing joyful praise to God, I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my savior, God, counting on God's rule to prevail because he's coming. Right. Advent, like he is coming. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. Like, Lord, if I do nothing else, I feel like this is the message that mature believers should be passing down again and again and again. This is our responsibility is to teach those who are, who have less experience in the faith to know that when things get hard, we can sing praise and joy and we can run like deer because he's coming. Like he, Mm -hmm. he is coming. Every promise that he ever made, he will fulfill. And it's only for a time. And Mm -hmm. he sees us. Like, even if the nation around us, even if everybody around us has lost their ever loving minds, has given Mm -hmm. themselves to the sex idols, have, have just completely debased themselves. He's keeping a remnant of people whose hearts, and he sees them and he's, and he's going to rescue them. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's from revelation. I think it actually. Well, in Habakkuk three, it talks about that too. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed right before that section that you just read. Yeah. I actually think there's a part in Revelation where it talks about that, where it's like, even though this whole church will be judged, I see the ones that yeah. whose hearts are stayed on me and who are waiting for me. That's just so hopeful. And that's the encouragement that I hope I remember to always pass down is we should expect it to get hard. When it gets hard, we can still expect to be able to sing his praises because we mm-hmm. trust that he's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a great message at Advent. Habakkuk was interesting for me this week because I read the that was one of the ones I read the intro rather than like Habakkuk coming to the people and like say, saying, this is what God says. This is Habakkuk, like questioning God basically is what this book is. It reminds me of Job. Like there were sections in here that reminded me of Job. How is it okay? Like why, how can you be God and let all these things happen? Uh, So this is just because you said that, let me just give an example. So in verse 17, chapter one, verse 17, Habakkuk says, are you going to let this go on and on? Will you let this Babylonian fisherman fish like a weekend angler killing people as if there's not, there nothing but fish. And then the beginning of chapter two starts, what's God Mm -hmm. going to say to my questions? I'm braced for the worst. I'll climb to the lookout tower and scan the horizon. I'll wait to see what God says, how he'll answer my complaint. Okay. You need to help me 
put my finger on what it is that that reminds me of. But that first, the first verse in chapter two, where Habakkuk is like, okay, I'm going to stand at my guard post and I'm just going to station myself and I'm just going to wait and listen for what God says. Mm -hmm. It was like jogging something in my memory. There's some Samuel says that Samuel, Samuel says, I'm not leaving my post until God tells me to. But then Peter okay. also says that. In I second thought it was Peter. Peter. Yeah. He says, I'm, okay. I'll stay here at my post. Um, that's what it was. I'm not moving. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. As he's questioning God, like throughout this whole thing, there are always these little, like just little lines about, I'm asking this question, but I know that this is true. Yeah. I know that the righteous will live by faith. I know that the earth is full of your glory. I know that in your wrath, remember mercy. I know that you're going to come save your people. I know that like, it was like, he's questioning, he's asking God these questions. And yet at the same time, and even like what you read, how it ends. It's lament. Yes. But in the end, like the God of my salvation and the fact that he recognizes, he lists all those things. Like if we don't have this, if we don't have this, if we don't have this, I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Like I know, I know I get what matters. Yeah. Like I know that circumstances do not determine. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go to the New Testament. This is where we cover so many books. First John, second John, third John, Jude, and Revelation. So just head on back to the back back. I just love that John I there every time that I see one of the one of the guys that walked closest with Jesus mm-hmm. or Paul say something that they're like, we know we're close to the end. It's like, oh <laughs> okay. Like I don't know. I feel like we're supposed to be waiting like it's imminent. Like, yeah. Yeah. They were so wrong, even though in God's eyes, you know, a thousand years. Right. I know it's relevant, but yeah, relative. It's like, yeah. I mean, we're supposed to be still, we're going to see all these same things happening that John was worried about. I remind you, dear children, verse 12, your sins are forgiven in Jesus's name. Please notice a pattern between all these epistles. Yeah, they have, it's it's gospel and love. Like that's what they're it's like this is pretty much sums it all up. And in five verse, the end of verse three and verse four, he says, His commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. Mm. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Thinking about those two ideas connect like the reason why God's commands are not a burden, the reason it's not a burden for us to love God and love others is because we've conquered the world. Mm-hmm. We know the end. We know who wins. John wraps up this book. I always take note when I hear them say my, their purpose. He starts out the book with his purpose is to double his joy by sharing their joy. And here he says, my purpose in writing is simply this that you who believe in God's son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion. How bold and free we then become in his presence, freely asking according to his will, sure that he's listening. And if we're confident that he's listening, we know that we have what we've asked for is as good as ours. I've told you this before. This is like one of, this is my favorite. I think this is my favorite New Testament promise. I cling to this one. Like when I'm praying for the thing that's when I'm asking for the salvation of someone I love, I literally am like, I know you want that more than I do. Mm-hmm. This is your will more than mine. It doesn't make me pray any less for them, but it makes me more confident that he hears my prayer. Mm-hmm. And so when I ask him to hound the person until they relent, <laughs> 
he wants to do that as much as I want him to, mm-hmm. you know, to think that my prayers are effective in that regard. Or, but th- here's the thing. You know, we talk about his promises and people talk about like naming it and claiming it. Th- there's a really important phrase in here. How bold and free we then become in his presence, freely asking according to his will. Mm-hmm. When we are in God's presence and our spirit is aligned with him, the things that we ask for will be according to his will. Mm-hmm. And only are those the promises that we know he's listening to and that we know we have what we've asked. It's, you can't, we don't go in asking for right. a new skateboard. It's, you know, the things that we know are according yeah. to his will, which is why we were just talking about this in Bible study. Such a sweet woman was asking about healing. Like, where's God's healing? Like, does God heal still? Mm-hmm. And like, she knows that he does heal still, but it was kind of one of those, like, I could tell that the underlying question was like, when do we pray for healing? And when do we pray for God's will? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. We all have that question. Yeah. It's right. A question. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember it was funny because I just shared Lydia's story at church. And I remember that be, that's really when I learned that and it's funny because I learned it from somebody who was kind of a part of that, like name it and claim it. Like you would, they would have been um, prosperity gospel labeled for sure. Mm-hmm. in the kinds of things that they read and studied. But I remember when I went to pray for Lydia, I felt like as her mom, I was responsible to pray for her healing, you know? And I remember going right. on my knees to pray and I did not, I couldn't pray for her healing. Like that was not what I felt mm-hmm. led to pray for. I, I felt led to pray that like God would glorify himself and make himself known through her life. However, that whether it was through healing, which I didn't really believe in my heart of hearts was going to be the case or whether it was through her death, just that like he would be known, Mm -hmm. um, which sounds super holy. That's not my point. My point is that I think the Holy spirit leads us because there have been times where I have prayed for people's healing. And when I have prayed for that healing, like he has done miraculous bringing the dead to life, kind of like healings, Mm -hmm. but it's not, the spirit leads us. Anyway, when mm-hmm. I was, when I was sharing my moment about Lydia and I was like, why couldn't I pray for a miracle? Like, I feel like I should have prayed for her to be healed. And he was like, I think the spirit, the Holy spirit leads us in how to pray. Like the Holy spirit is more than capable of teaching us when to pray for the healing and when mm-hmm. to pray for his openly for his will that mm-hmm. may not look like our, what we want, you know? And I was like, for some reason, like that sort of just took hold at that point in my life. And so that's how I think about that. So Jude, I couldn't read Jude without looking up who he was. Oh, what he was about. Yeah. Um, looks like he's Jesus's half brother. Yep. And he's only his half brother because God is his, Jesus's father. Right. So Mary and Joseph's son, Jude, you know, you get to verse nine and you're like, what? Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, this, this is going to require some significant digging for me to even <laughs> like, I was honestly thinking of you. I was like, Annika's going to be, and I remember actually hearing Beth Moore actually talked about this passage. I can't remember what she was teaching about, but I remember I've seen, I know I've seen it before because she brought it to my attention, but this is actually from, did you dig it? Did you dig into I it? I did all? not at all. But. Okay. So this is actually from a, I want to say it's from a Catholic. It's no, uh, no, I was looking in one of my commentaries. It's from another book, like another, like, um, out, not, not like a reference to it. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't, we wouldn't know what he's referring to because it's not actually in our canonized Bible. So the other thing that in Jude is at the end, one thing I love and one thing that's hard for me to understand. Um, but in verse 20 and 
verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. I loved that. Mm, go easy on those who hesitate. in the. Faith. Yeah, that is like the opposite of natural for me. <laughs> really the opposite. So that was a really good reminder. And I've been mulling mm. over that a lot. Oh, I love that. Um, but then right after that, he says, and I have, I wanted to bring this up because I didn't look it up in the message and I want to know it. He says, he says, save others by snatching them from the fire. Right after that? Yeah. Verse 22, verse 23, says, beginning. Go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Go after them. Be tender okay. with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. Mm -hmm. Be tender with sinners. That's precious. Save others by snatching them from the fire. I don't. Yeah, that's God's job. Right. Like, I don't know what to do with that. In some ways, it reminded me of that other section. I forget. I think it's Paul when he's talking about wives and unbelieving husbands and vice versa. And he's basically saying, you don't know what your faith will do. And so that's kind of what it made me think of. And then also it made me think of the friends who lower the friend down through the roof for mm -hmm. Jesus to heal him. Yeah. I don't know exactly what that means, but it had me like, has me thinking hmm. and combining with having mercy on those who, who waver. Yeah. There's a real love there. Like he's yes. like asking us to like really love the ones who are not easy to love. Like he's asking us to love the ones who aren't qualified, the ones who haven't run the, like who are untested, the ones who. Unbelieving. It sounds like, I mean, he's like, like he's talking about, and well, maybe well, that's my question. Those who hesitate in the faith that, well, okay. So again, I have a different version than you. And then go after those who take the wrong way. They both make me think of people who are like on the journey, but like, okay. Really not sure-footed yet. Okay. Cause I thought the opposite of that. I mean, not the mm -hmm. opposite, but to me, it read as mercy on those. Okay. I'm looking at it in ESV. To me, it read as, because I tend to think of someone like, if you're not all in, it's all or nothing. You know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like most of scripture kind of points to that. And so that's, and then mm. save others from, by snatching them from the fire. Like the, I'm thinking of it as like people who are not in the faith yet. That's what I'm. That's so I'm it reading. makes me think of this passage in Mark, which Amanda Burlingham grabbed onto. And I just love where she went with it. But that verse in Mark, where the disciples are like, Jesus, there were people casting demons out in your name in and your we name. told them to stop because they're yeah. not one of us. And Jesus is like, if they are not against us, they are for us. They're for us. Yeah. Like that's the group of people I feel like we're talking about is the people yeah. that like really don't know anything yet, but they're like dipping their toes in the water. Interesting. And, and Amanda's like, yeah, those ones that are dipping their toes in the water, like we should be like, come on, let's, like snatching yeah. them up and being like, come with, like, follow me. Like you're like, oh, you're kind of in, let's do this. You're all let's like, let's this. get all the way yeah. in. Yeah. Kind Interesting. But I think that is our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to look at those who like have no idea what they're doing and be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, why are you totally. even trying? <laughs> yes. I'm the worst at that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So just to touch on revelation, we actually revelation. are only 
into the second chapter, yeah. third, second chapter two. Yeah. But here's, here's my, maybe I should let you talk first. No, go ahead. I feel like this is the real, like, because we're in Advent, this is the verse that I want to read. I, John, am writing this to the seven churches in Asia province. Okay, before I start, let's go back and remember that we were just talking about how John is the one that was saying he's coming any minute. Like, right. we were just talking about how that's what he said. So he was just like the rest of the epistle writers who were like, Jesus is coming any moment. I, John, am writing this to the seven churches in Asia province. All the best to you from the God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive. Oh, interesting. Yes. And I just was like, about to arrive. So Advent means coming or arriving. And I was like, there we are. John is writing this. He's got a revelation directly from the Lord and he's writing it down for us. And he's saying the God who was, God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive. This is the promise that we're waiting for when the sheep pens are empty and when the cherries aren't blossoming. We're waiting on the God who is, the God who was, and the God about to arrive. That's a fun, because that's totally a Eugene Peterson Mm -hmm. interpretation, Mm -hmm. but it's like a whole new perspective, I think too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's accurate. Obviously like this is John is John obviously believed. Yeah. God was about to arrive. Yeah. Because normally, like, I mean, and we use this on our, Mm -hmm. on our right in our, all of our dive collective stuff, like the God who Mm -hmm. was the God who is and the God who is to come the God who is to come is so like far, far away. Off. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like, like, even as you're saying that I'm like, it becomes even more like goosebumpy real, like the epistle writers, Paul, Peter, John, they're all writing with this any minute. Yeah. They're all expecting him any minute. And we're still there. Like we should still be at that, like goosebumpy, like any minute, like he's coming any minute. This is, this is real for us right now. Like any minute the skies could open up, the bolt of lightning could flash and here he is. And I don't, we don't live like that. We live like the God who was, who is, and is to come someday, as opposed to the God who is and was and is arriving. About to arrive. Any moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So cool. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.